We have been, before uh, before the Christmas season and the New Year's season came upon us, we were in a study in 1 Corinthians, and we're not done with that yet. We will get back to that. We're almost done. We've just got a little bit left to do. Uh, but uh, there's one other passage I want to talk, talk about today before we get back to that. Next week, maybe, Lord willing, we'll be back in 1 Corinthians. If you are visiting with us, our normal mechanism, our normal method on, on Sunday mornings from the pulpit is to preach through a particular book of the Bible or maybe a particular topic in the Bible. Uh, and we're just finishing up 1 Corinthians and then we'll be starting something new after that. But today, let's take a look at Romans chapter 13. For the first, the first message in the new year, I thought this would be a good place for us to go. So Romans chapter 13, we'll start reading verse number 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. <clears throat> for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. <clears throat> for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not cover, covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for the opportunity now to turn to the Word. And Father, we ask that you would give us guidance during this part of our, of our uh, service today. I pray, Lord, for the filling of the Spirit that I might teach and preach accurately. I pray that all of us would be filled with the Spirit that we might hear and receive the message that you have for us today. And Lord, may we be changed. May these not just be words that go out into the air. But Lord, would you speak to us today and change us and make us what we ought to be for you. Give us wisdom. as just for these few minutes. We look at this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week I returned home from work, and I began looking through my mail. And to my great horror, I found a packet in there from my tax man. Tax time has come again. And as I looked at that particular packet, I uh, was reminded of a commercial that was on some years ago. I've only seen this commercial this one time, and... I actually don't watch commercials anymore. We have a DVR now, and I refuse to watch commercials, so I just fast-forward through them. So maybe this commercial's been brought back. I don't know. But some years ago, H&R Block came out with a commercial. And in this particular commercial, if you can imagine the scene, 
there's a family sitting in their living room. And they're all sitting there and the television is going in front of them. But the television is making no sound. They're trying to watch television, but there's no sound coming from it. Everybody looks nervous. One, every once in a while, one will try to speak to the other, but they do it in a whisper so quiet that the other one can't hear. And so, the, you know, there's nobody can hear anything that's going on. Everybody's nervous. The dog's nervous. There's so much tension in the air. All you can hear is the clock ticking when all of a sudden a door in the upstairs balcony of the house goes crashing open and the man of the house comes running out onto the balcony, hair sticking straight up, eyes bugging out of his head, obviously looking completely beside himself with stress, and he screams at the top of his lungs, can I please have some quiet around here? And I always think about the voiceover of the H&R tax man coming on then afterwards and saying, don't wait until the last minute to do your taxes. Let H&R Block do it for you. I love that commercial. I haven't seen it for years. Well, Romans 13 has several interesting topics. It does talk about taxes in here, but it has several interesting topics. The first seven verses of this talk about taxes, talks about our responsibility to government in general. And it's a very interesting topic, is it not? And it's much on people's minds as our government sets itself more and more against the people of God and the things of God. We cannot help but think about these things and wonder where the line is. And this is one of the classic passages we would go to to talk about that very thing. But that's not our topic for today. The next few verses here talk about something else. And in verses 8 through 10, we have some instruction about love. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Last week, in the last Lord's Day of 2012, we talked about some resolutions that we ought to make. And the last one we mentioned is, in 2013, we ought to resolve to love more. And there's some wonderful, wonderful truth here in these verses that would help us with that. I encourage you to read it. Think about it. See if it helps you with that resolution. But that's not our topic for today. What I want us to concentrate on this morning is verses 11 through 14. 11 through 14. Let's read them. Read those verses again. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I think those verses have some words that are very helpful to us as we start a new year. Especially helpful to us here at Friendship Bible Churches, we think we're going to be meeting here in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking about our goals and our plans and our vision for not just this new year, but just the future. And so some very helpful things here. And I, I think we can uh, tackle this little section by just noticing three words that jump out at us there. The word now, the word nearer, and the word night. Now, nearer, and night. And I think those are three words that all convey the same thought to us. We're running out of time to serve the Lord, and we need to get busy for Christ now. Well, let's look at those three. Number one, the word now. Now. Do you see it there? Now. It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you hear Paul's urgency in that verse? Now. He is saying that we're running out of time. He is saying that the alarm clock is sounding and there is no time left 
to hit the snooze button. The church in America, around the world, and here in Randolph needs to wake up. That's what he's saying. That's what now says. Now says that time is up. Now says that no time remains. Of the three words we mentioned, now, nearer, night, now is the one that most clearly expresses the thought that Paul is trying to make here, which is urgency. 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 In J.R.R. Tolkien's wonderful trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, I've quoted from it before, I've probably even told you this part of it before, Uh, but there is a great illustration of now in that story. If you've seen it, or read it, you know that at the very end of the trilogy, the hero Frodo Baggins is standing overlooking the fires of Mount Doom. And all he needs to do is throw the evil ring of power into the fire. That's all he has to do. He's been, this has been the whole point of the whole thing. It's led up to this moment. And now is the time. All he has to do is do it. But he doesn't do it, does he? He procrastinates. He struggles with it. He has trouble with now. And the words of his good friend, Samwise Gamgee, who stands behind him, are the words that all of us would say at that point. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do it now! And yet, it's a picture of all of us, is it not? Now is when we must do things, but we struggle with now. Bartimaeus in the Bible is a good example of now. Bartimaeus was a blind man. He was sitting by the highway side begging when Jesus came by. You remember the story? And he said, what's all this commotion? Couldn't see. He didn't know what was going on. He's blind. Couldn't see. But as this, people, as this commotion went by, he said, what's going on? And somebody said, well, Jesus is passing by. And Bartimaeus began to cry out to him. And they tried to shut him up. And he cried out the louder. And they tried to shut him up. And he tossed aside his garments and he went running. And, and I always like to picture that in my mind. What must that have looked like? He was blind. He must have just been clawing his way through the crowd. Stumbling over people. Falling. Getting back up. Nothing was going to stop him because he knew. Now was the only chance he had. Jesus was passing by. There might not be, there probably wouldn't be another time. Zacchaeus is another example of now. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You remember the story? Zacchaeus was, well, he was a tiny little guy according to the Bible. And he knew Jesus was coming and he wanted to see Jesus. And he knew there was only one chance he was going to have to see Jesus. And he was not going to let anything stop him. So he did climb up into a sycamore tree so that he would be able to see. He knew now was the only chance he had. And he wasn't going to allow that to pass him by. On a personal note, I've told you before about the story of a friend of mine named Bill. Who uh, I met in Pontiac, Michigan. And I won't tell you the story again because it's a long story. If anybody ever wants to know that story, I'll share it with you. Let me just summarize it. Bill was a man who was uh, mentally challenged. He was extremely mentally challenged. He didn't understand when I would speak to him. He, uh, he had no ability to respond. And I would try to share the gospel with Bill, and he, he wouldn't respond. He would literally get up and run out of the room. Until one day, in an astonishing illustration of the grace of God, I said to Bill, would you like me to share the gospel with you or something of that sort? And he said, yes. And in perfect lucidity, he sat there and listened as I shared the gospel. In perfect presence of mind, he knelt by his bed and trusted Christ. It was the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. And the very next week when I went back to see him, he was gone again. His mind was gone. He didn't even understand who I was. And I always look at that and I say, what an example of now. He had one shot, one chance that God said, all right, Bill, I'm going to open your mind today. And this is the only time you better do something with it. And he did. 
And he trusted Christ. I'm convinced when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to see Bill. Now, Paul is saying, now, it's high time. It's high time. When is the right time for a person to come to Christ? Now. Now. What would anybody be waiting for? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is the right time for a Christian to stop dabbling in the world, to set aside their sin and start living for Jesus? When is the right time? Now. When, what other time would there be? Look at what Paul says here in the latter part of this. Therefore, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. When is the right time to do that? When is the right time to live for Christ now? And when is the right time for a church to get serious in serving the Lord and fulfilling the Great Commission? Now, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Now, it's a compelling word. It's just filled with urgency. And it ought to cause us. It ought to cause you, it ought to cause me, it ought to cause all of us as a church to see the need to wake up. That's what he says, verse 11. Now, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We have a missionary that we took on this past year. His name is Jerry Harmon. He ministers in Puerto Rico with his wife, Liz. And I recall talking with him one time, and he said that the people that he ministers to, mostly Spanish-speaking people, he said they have a word that is somewhat ubiquitous in their culture, and that is the word manana. Anybody know what that word means? Tomorrow. He said, anytime you ask one of these people that he ministered to, he said, you would ask them to do something, and they say, ah, manana. We'll do that manana tomorrow. Makes me think of the little musical Annie. You remember the musical Annie where the little title character sings a song? It's become, become quite well known in our culture. She says, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. It's only a day away. Cool thought, interesting sentiment, terrible theology. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. And Paul reminds us here of that very thing. There is not always going to be a tomorrow, at least on this earth. It's not always just a day away. And so let's learn from that word now. Now. Let's train ourselves to see the urgency in the word. Let's wake up. It's high time. Second word is the word nearer. Nearer. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. There's not a whole lot of difference between the word now and the word nearer as Paul is using them here. I mean, he's making the same argument with with those two thoughts. But I, I see a slightly different nuance, a slightly different word picture as I think about that word, nearer. You see, I believe he's talking about the nearness of the return of Christ. Jesus is coming again. The nearness of the fulfillment of and completion of God's plan. And we've talked about this a lot in recent days. During our Advent season, we talked a lot about the return of Christ, right? Advent means the coming, and we talked about his first coming, and we talked a lot about his second coming. And we use some interesting words. We use words like promised. And don't you thank the Lord for the promise that Jesus is coming again. We use words like prophecy. And don't you thank the Lord when you pick up the Bible all throughout, you see prophesied over and over that Jesus would come again. We use words like imminent. Imminent. You know, every generation of Christians, from the very first ones, from the very first ones who stood looking up into heaven, they expected him to come back right then. They knew his coming was imminent. And every generation since has known the same thing. There's nothing stopping him from coming back except his grace and his patience. He could come back at any moment. It's imminent. All good words. But how about this word? Because I think this is a good word. Nearer. Nearer. Every day. Every minute. 
Christ's return gets nearer. And if we are wise as believers, that ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us to get busy and do something for God. There is a railroad crossing just north of my house on New Milford Road. Every day as I go to work, I drive across that railroad crossing, and every day I follow the exact same procedure. As I am approaching the railroad crossing, I slow my car down, and I look to the left. If there's no train coming, I continue moving forward, and I look to the right. If there's no train coming, I cross the track. Doesn't that sound normal? I recall a time when I was a teenager, and my father and I, now he will deny this. If you ever see him, he will deny this to this day. But my father and I were driving in a big dump truck that we had rented for some reason, and we were approaching that exact same railroad truck. Well, he couldn't see to the right because it was a big truck and his vision was obscured. So as we drove toward the track, he looked to the right, and nothing was coming. And without even turning his head, he's continuing to look to the right. He says to me, is anything coming? And I looked, he looked to the left. I looked to the right, and I said, yes. Now, he will deny this, but his response to that was to press down on the gas and to continue motoring across the track. And as he continued across the track and got about halfway onto the tracks, he said, what? And I screamed, obviously, something that I probably should deny, something loud. You see, I have crossed that track before when the train was way down there. didn't concern me in the slightest. I could see its light half a mile down the track. didn't bother me at all. It wasn't anywhere near me. No problem. Just went right on across. But that train was near. That train was nearer. That train was too near. And it motivated me. It should have motivated him. But he'll deny it to this day. Nonetheless, should not that word motivate us if we are wise? You know... It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. It's been over 2,000 years since the disciples looked up and they heard the angels say, that same Jesus that you just saw go, you're going to see him come. The same way that you saw him go. Over 2,000 years. That delay that has taken place between that and today has caused an awful lot of complacency in us as Christians, has it not? And Paul here is trying to say it ought not to be bringing complacency. He ought to be we ought to be realizing that every passing day makes it nearer. And rather than complacency, it ought to breed urgency. Jesus told a parable one time of the ten virgins. Matthew chapter 25, let me read it to you, it's not very long. He said, the kingdom of heaven should be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their, lamps with their, in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Whatever else that particular parable teaches us, it certainly tells us this, does it not? That with each passing moment, the bridegroom's coming was nearer, nearer. And yet with each passing moment, their complacency grew until they were all 
sleeping. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 says, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Oh, brothers and sisters, let it not be so amongst us. Think of that word nearer. And let it not breed complacency. Let it breed urgency. Any minute now. Any minute now. It is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. One last word. And that's the word night. Night. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. You know it's been night in this world. Since that time, sin entered the Garden of Eden. Since then, it has been night. In the upper room, when Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper, and when he had washed the feet of the disciples, at least in John's account of this, he points out that Jesus identified Judas as the betrayer. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. And then in uh, John chapter 13, verse number 30, He points out that Judas went out, and it was night. It was night. And I always think what a picture of the world in which we live. The world in which the prince of darkness holds sway. A world in which we seem to walk in night all the time. Ah, but Paul here gives us this wonderful promise, does he not? This wonderful picture that the night is coming to an end. And soon those of us who know Christ will live in endless day. And again, he's making the same point, isn't he? It's just another picture. It's just another reinforcement of the point he's trying to make here. Time is growing short. Now is when we need to be doing something because the coming of Christ is nearer and his illustration of night and day is just to reinforce that particular point. And so what does he say we ought to do as the night draws to a close? Well, we ought to wake up. Wake up. It's high time to awake out of sleep. That's what we should do. But some of us struggle with that. I knew a teenager who shall remain nameless who used to live in my house. This particular individual used to have extreme difficulty with waking up in the morning. This particular individual's father used to approach him every morning and try to get him up so that he would go to school and he would refuse to comply. He had difficulty with waking up. He sure remained nameless. Until one day, I went in and I told him it's time to get up, and he refused to comply. And so I walked into the other room, and I got a glass of water and put some ice cubes in it and walked into the room and dumped it in his face. Parents, I hardly recommend this method. It works perfectly. From that day, whenever the alarm clock went off, from that day, anytime Dad would say, it's time to get up, if there was not immediate movement... All that had to happen was he'd hear the turning on of the tap. Boom! Standing in the doorway. I'm not quite sure why I'm telling that story. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. Other than the fact that some of us struggle with the fact that uh, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Well, three words Paul gives us here. Three words. Simple message. Now, nearer and night. And though they might address it in... Uh, similar ways, or different ways. They're all telling us basically the same thing. But there's an urgency to our business as believers. There's an urgency to our service for the Lord. We ought to get at it. Doing this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. 
If you are not saved, if you are not saved, I implore you to consider the urgency of your state. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You have no hope that your time will be prolonged. The Bible clearly states there is an end in view. You need to trust Christ now. 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 Because the return of Christ or your death, either of which ends your opportunity to be saved, is nearer now than when you walked in that door. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, then I wonder this morning, do you see the urgency of serving Christ with your life now? I fear too many of us as Christians want to just live like the world for a while, and in our mind we're saying, manana, manana, I'll serve the Lord later. No, now. Do you see the urgency of it, believer? We are nowhere guaranteed that there's going to be another year. There we're nowhere guaranteed that there's going to be another day. If we're going to serve the Lord, we do it now. And then finally, church, Friendship Bible Church. We have a mission to fulfill. A great door is open for us if we will walk through it. And so the question for us as a church has to always be, do we see the urgency? How long is God going to allow this this church to, to be here? How long? Every day that we have may be our last, and we need to be serving the Lord with urgency while we can. Doing this, knowing the time, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Now, nearer night. High time.